This episode of Trek Geeks is dedicated to the memory of Dan's father, Donald C. Davidson Sr., who passed away on May 28, 2021, at the age of 82. Don Davidson's life was a legacy of public service and trying to help others, whether through his service in the United States Air Force, his time as the mayor of Nashua, New Hampshire, or his later work with the Federal Emergency Management Administration, responding in times of great need. The entire Trek Geeks podcast network offers their love and condolences to Dan, his wife Susan, and the entire Davidson family. May Don's legacy and memory live long and prosper. The Trek Geeks Podcast Network is proud to have Fansets as its presenting sponsor. Fansets is the place for amazing pin collectibles with over 300 officially licensed Star Trek pins and new releases every month. Stay tuned for a special discount code good on your next order at fansets.com just for Trek Geeks listeners. Fansets, our pins have character. This episode is also sponsored by Science Division the makers of the galaxy's first interactive Tribble that you can control with your very own smartphone. Find out more about this amazing collectible and sign up for their mailing list for special offers at sciencediv.com. Science Division. Trouble's never been this fun. Hi, this is Nana Visitor, Major Kira Norris from Deep Space Nine, and you are listening to the biggest little show this side of the Gamma Quadrant, the Trek Geeks Podcast. With Bill Smith and Dan Davidson. some remote planet where we've got a house with shields and stuff. It's the biggest little show this side of the Alpha Quadrant and the flagship of the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. Greetings to you one and all and welcome back to the Trek Geeks Podcast. I'm your co-host Bill Smith and this is episode number 260. Wow. wow. 260. It's amazing. I know. And who's that voice you might ask? Well, I'm glad you brought that up because that is my co-host. So... If there were a planet with rejuvenative properties um, that might aid him in becoming, I don't know, a better version of himself, I think I'd just maroon him in deep space. Wow. Yeah, that's all I'm saying. Um, he's the he's the largely annoying and, and loud Dan Davidson. And Dan, it's good to have you back, buddy, despite that introduction. I want my bunny corn, bunny corn, bunny corn, bunny corn. No? no. Anyway. It's great to be back, pal. How are you? Thank you. <laughs> that's, 
Hey, before we go any further, do me a favor. Yeah. Take that top button on the back of your mic yeah. and turn it away from you. Top button. Yeah. Turn a little bit. Thank you. How's now try that? that. How's that? Well, turn it back the other way just a little more. How's that? There we go. Better. Thank you. Okay. See, you're giving me engineering skills right live on the show. It's fantastic. It's yeah. so good to be back. Thanks, buddy. Uh, wonder. You know what? I liked the introduction. I enjoyed it. Oh, so, good for you. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. It was, yeah, it's one that I'll remember forever. Well, speaking of things that we'll remember forever, this week we're going to talk about an episode that, that really hit a lot of people in the feels. Yeah. And it just happens to be an episode of Star Trek Picard, a series we never talked about before. First time we have ever deep dove. I think I got that word right. Deep dive, deep divin. And I don't know. I'm sorry. Uh, deep divin? <laughs> deep whatever um but yeah you know i'll throw them all out there because i know i'll get one of them right but it's the first time we've ever talked picard in depth on trek geeks which is kind of cool i mean we do have the show on the network for picard and everything but we've never actually talked at length about an episode and and we said you know what let's do it and why not talk about what to me i think is one of the best episodes of the season we have a lot of reunions we have a lot of surprises so yeah nepenthe Excellent episode of Picard season one, and we're going to talk about it at length today. And, and dude, I got to tell you, I cannot wait. It is. It, it was the reunion I didn't know I needed. You know, right. last year around this time, we talked to Jonathan Frakes mm-hmm. as part of our live stream to benefit Feeding America. It's hard to believe a year has gone by since then. Amazing. And, um, you know, I, I mentioned that I, I didn't realize how much I'd grown to adore these characters and how much they meant to me until I got to Nepenthe. It was almost kind of like they creeped up on me over all this time. And to watch it again, it was just as emotional. And I can't wait to talk about it today. It's it's going to be awesome. One of the things that I find so great about this is, of course, it's, it's great to see Deanna and it's great to see Riker. But Riker was baby face Riker at one point and everybody's like, oh, that silly guy. He walks funny down the corridor and, and sits on chairs <laughs> funny. And then he grew a beard and was imposing and powerful and was a strong character. Now he's got the gray beard and he looks even more awesome and powerful and and in command than ever before. I love Captain Riker in Picard. Love him. You know, that that quality is not going to translate to you even though your beard's gray, right? It's, yeah, but I got a little tiny beard, and I have no hair so on don't my I head. He has hair on his head, and he cooks bunny corn sausage pizza, so I don't do that. Bunny corn, bunny corn, bunny. Anyway. Enough. Enough. <laughs> Dan, it's so we can move this show along, why don't you tell people how they can get in touch with us with their favorite bunny corn pizza recipes? Absolutely. There is a whole bunch of ways you can get in touch with us. We definitely want to hear from you. You can head over to trekgeeks.com slash contact. And from there, you can send us an email. You can shoot us a voicemail. You can chat with us. You can tweet at us. Or you can head right over to Camp Kittimer, which is the official Facebook group of the Trek Geeks Podcast Network over on the Book of Faces. It is the most positive Trek group on Facebook, we should say. Uh, We don't allow any trolling. We don't allow any gatekeeping. We only want people there celebrating what they love about Star Trek. So just search for Camp Kittimer, answer a couple of questions, and we're going to let you write in to enjoy all the fun we have there. And we want to thank our wonderful admins, Haley, Jackie, and Fark, for the amazing job they do running the camp. But please remember that any messages or comments that you leave us in any of the places that I just talked about, we might use it in a future episode, we will use it in a future episode, and we will give you credit for such comments. Back to you, Bill. 
Wow, you really called a crazy Ivan there and just went right off book. That's amazing. I, I know, and I didn't, I, I didn't even screw up, which is... You actually I, did once. Did yeah. I? I did. It was yeah. the voicemail chat thing, wasn't it? Yeah. You heard that. There was one other small one. When you listen back to it... Oh, oh, oh wait, that's not going to happen. You don't listen to your own podcast. <laughs> that's true, too. If you haven't checked out the Galaxy's First Interactive Tribble from Science Division, then I got to tell you, you are really missing out. Yeah, this officially licensed Tribble is just as amazing high-quality Star Trek collectible as you can get. We know you'll be proud to add it to your collection. We both have one, and we truly love them. So much work and creativity went into creating this Tribble, right down to the softest fur you can imagine. Plus, the sounds the Tribble makes are straight out of the original series, and you'll swear that this Tribble was delivered straight from Space Station K7 right to your front door, buddy. Plus, I mean, don't forget, Father's Day is coming up fast, and the Science Division Tribble makes the perfect gift. If you order now, your Tribble will ship wrapped in tissue paper and also come with a Tribble pixel art pin and a set of the Tribbles in Vegas cosplay cards. Now, there are five cards total, each featuring a Tribble in a different humorous Vegas-themed cosplay. So don't delay, friends. Head on over to Science DIV right now, ScienceDIV.com right now, to get one of the Galaxy's first interactive Tribbles right now. That's right now several times I said that, and I'm not ashamed to say Right it. now. Right now. And be sure to select the Father's Day packaging option from the drop-down menu when you add it to your cart. Science Division. Trouble's never been this fun, and we thank our friends at Science Division for sponsoring this week's episode. If you're looking for some great Star Trek t-shirts or even gear to add to your life, then be sure to check out the Trek Geek store on TeePublic. In addition to our own merchandise, you can directly access all of the officially licensed shirts on the TeePublic platform just by going to shop.trekgeeks.com. And the best part is when you use that link, you're automatically helping to support the Trek Geeks podcast network with every purchase, whether it's from our store or not. So with over 150 different designs available and new merch being added all the time, you are bound to find something perfect for the next Trek Tuesday. Plus, TeePublic constantly has special sales and discounts going on, so you want to check back often. Like I said, it all starts by going to the Trek Geek shop today at shop.trekgeeks.com. Dan, as always, we want to take this moment to thank our friends at Fansense for being our presenting sponsor here on the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. This is a relationship that you and I are incredibly proud of. Lou, John, and the entire team at Fansets, even Joe, they're dedicated to bringing you the finest Star Trek collectibles anywhere in the world. And their customer service, I mean, we say this, and, and I don't think people take us seriously enough. It, their customer service literally is second to none. Yeah, people don't take me seriously, but they definitely should take that seriously. They are the best <laughs> in customer service. You got that right, buddy. I'm so excited that Fansets has a major announcement about some new items headed our way. Uh, right now, you can pre-order three new amazing Delta pins, which are tentatively scheduled for a mid to late July release. And are you ready for these, man? First of all, we have the All Good Things Delta ready for you nice. as a magnetic backed pin. It is gorgeous, and I can't wait to add this one to my collection. 
And everyone saw it on Captain Pike's chest. That's right. It's the Enterprise Command Delta from Discovery Season 2. And I'm guessing it's probably going to be in every season of Strange New Worlds. And it can now be yours before Strange New Worlds even premieres. Both the full-size pin and magnetic back deltas are ready for you to add to your collection right now at fansets.com. Now, you can only get these pins through the pre-order page over at their site, so head on over there now and place your order. Each magnetic back pin will sell for $19.99 each, while the full-sized Enterprise Delta pin will sell for $17.99. That is Awesome. And that fansets Delta collection is truly amazing. Full-size Deltas, magnetic back Deltas, mini Deltas, they're all incredible. So everyone, you know what I'm going to tell you to do. I do it every episode. Head on over to fansets.com, put a whole bunch of those pre-orders and buy some other pins and some accessories and put, put all that stuff in your cart. And don't forget to pre-order those new Deltas that Dan just talked about because that first shipment is going to go pretty fast. At checkout, we want you to use this week's special Trek Geeks discount code word PIZZA. That's P-I-Z-Z-A in all capital letters for an amazing 10% off your entire order. Order. It will unfortunately not deliver you pizza, but Fansets is working on that. This offer is going to be good until June 16th, 2021 at 11.59 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. Plus, don't forget, I mean, when you spend more than 30 bucks on Fansets.com, you will automatically get free shipping in the United States. Fansets. Our pins have character. And we thank our friends at Fansets for being the presenting sponsor of the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. Well, Dan, this week we are going to venture into water that we have never been in on Trek Geeks, and we are going to talk about Star Trek Picard, um, uh, the the series that looks at the continuation of, of Jean-Luc Picard's journey, you know, 20 years or so post the events of Star Trek Nemesis. Mm-hmm. And I got to tell you, we went to the premieres. Actually, I think the last trip you and I took before the quarantine started yes. last year in 2020. And I, I got to say that the the air just had this this energy and this electricity because everybody there was so excited to see what this series was going to be about. It really was an an awesome evening. Um, I was so glad that you were there with me uh, for this, and we got to actually sit back in the press area and talk to some of these actors and creators as as they came down the the carpet and of course that electricity that you talked about really just went into overload when Sir Patrick Stewart showed up at the far end of that carpet that we were we were standing <laughs> it took him a long time to get over to our end but it was well long worth time. it it was a great night and you can you can you could tell just from that night with all of the people involved the love dedication uh, that went into this series, how proud they were of what they've accomplished. And I got to say, it really showed throughout the entire season, but especially in the episode that we're going to talk about here today. Uh, without a doubt. I mean, uh, I think that many people were surprised by what Star Trek Picard was. And we have to say right up front, if you haven't seen season one of Star Trek Picard, <laughs> hello, what the hell are you waiting for? <laughs> um, it, it's been over for, for more than a year at this point. So we're going to talk about this episode. Um, and we're going to talk about details of this episode. So if you haven't seen it yet, you can turn it off now and go back and watch it. But as far as we're concerned, this is, this is not necessary. It doesn't require a spoiler warning because right. this is details that have been in the wild for some time. Long time. Um, this is episode seven of Picard's 10 episode first season. It's, um, for me, I think it's the most personal episode because I mean, this is a series that shows Picard at a very different place of his life in the first mm. few episodes. Yep. And this kind of gives us the first 
glimpse of the Picard that we've known all along. It was good to see it too. Um, yeah. Not not to say that that they drop the ball in any way because it is definitely a different time in Picard's life. He has gone through a lot in those twenty years since we had last seen him in the first until the first first six episodes. Um, but this time we got to see the Captain Picard that we remembered so well in little glimpses here and there. And um, I, I think that not only did Sir Patrick Stewart did a great job in bringing that out, as well as Jonathan Frakes and Marina Sirtis, but. The story by Samantha Humphrey and Michael Chabon, which who we absolutely love to no end, really did a great job in exploring that character that we had not seen for quite a while. And it showed brilliantly, I think, in this episode. I agree. And when you couple that with the the visuals provided by you know, the, the team shooting the episode, directed mm-hmm. by Doug Arniakoski, who has directed some of my favorite episodes of Star Trek Discovery, uh, and my favorite short trek. Yeah. I, I think that it, it makes for, I, I think that's the reason why this episode resonates with so many people, quite frankly. Yeah, um, I agree. I, 100%. Uh, as we look at the beginning of this episode, it doesn't necessarily start the way that, that people think it would. You know, immediately before this, you know, Picard has been on the artifact, which is the 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 rec- reclaimed Borg cube that the Romulans are we're sort of working through and, you know, with the XBs and everything, the former Borg. And um, he's got to get the hell out of there because uh, some stuff goes down. Yes. We're not going to go into what, but clearly he's in danger. And he goes through this sort of spatial teleporter to Nepenthe. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not where the episode starts. The episode starts on Okinawa on Earth, you know, where yes. Ali Martinez is right now. And Hi, Dr. Dr. Agnes Girardi is is listening to some Cassillian opera, a nice callback to Star Trek Discovery, on earbuds. And I would have thought that earbuds would be gone <laughs> well, by twenty three ninety nine. She she likes to be stuck in the past in some ways, I guess. I gotta say though, Bill, I'm really glad that they did this scene because when they first showed this scene back in an earlier episode, they cut away from it. So you yeah. had questions as to what was actually going on. So we get um uh Commodore O and her awesome sunglasses. What the heck is up with the sunglasses? Those, um, those killer Ray-Bans. Yeah. Um, and I'm glad we finally got to see what happened during that meeting because it was always something that everyone was asking. What actually happened there? Is is Girardi going to become a, a bad person? Is she going to be working with uh, Commodore O? So I'm glad that we got to actually see this and we also got glimpses of of uh, past events through that pretty pretty horrific mind melt. <laughs> Well, and we get some kind of glimpse as to why Agnes does what she does with mm-hmm. Maddox. Mm-hmm. Um, it, she she's under <laughs> she's under a lot of pressure. You know, um, uh, some might say she's under some undue influence. You know, she's been uh, essentially forced to believe what O wants her to believe. Right. And I have to say that 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 meld would disturb the hell out of me as well. I have to I have to say because that. That is a pretty intense scene for the opening of an episode. The one thing that I I don't know if I question it, uh, you, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, of course, and and Girardi has that hindsight later. But you got to kind of wonder. <clears throat> we don't they they're in this time frame in Star Trek. They know what Vulcans are capable of doing with mind melts. She never questioned it at all. It seems about whether those those thoughts were influencing and not actual. You know what I mean? Does that make sense what I'm trying to say? Um, it, it does. It does. 
she just kind of was like, oh, okay, yeah, give me that thing. I'll chew it, and I'll be, you'll be able to track me from now on. No questions asked. That was a little huh moment for me. Well, I think she believes she's doing what's best for Starfleet, you know, because O represents it that way. You know, yeah. that what's going on is currently a threat to the Federation and possibly humanity. But, I mean, she doesn't know that, that O isn't what she appears to be. Right. That's true. You know, and at this point, we all suspect, we know that she's not on the up and up, but we don't, we, we don't necessarily know for sure. And I got to say, O is played beautifully by Tamlin Tamita, who, of course, you know, people will remember from a variety of things, including The Karate Kid Part 2. Which took place in... Okinawa, Japan. Eh, it's pretty awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and side note, in uh, in Cobra Kai, the series, she actually comes back. Oh, okay. In in season two, I'm halfway through season one on that. I haven't watched it in a while, but it's good. So, and far that's not really spoiling anything because they're just making so many kinds of callbacks. But that's another podcast for, for another, another time. time. Twenty seventy four. I think we're going to start twenty <laughs> when we'll be a hundred five. Hey, you know what? <laughs> it works. <laughs> so. Yeah, Gerardi swallows or eats this edible tracking device mm. that uh, essentially, you know, allows her to. It's, it's like Gerardi Lojack, quite frankly. Whoever has the coordinates can pretty much pinpoint her anywhere in the galaxy. Which that that's pretty amazing if you think about it. It's pretty amazing, and it's also also kind of good technology that now it's not just something that you implant and somebody can remove. It's basically in your bloodstream, and and as we see later, it's not the easiest thing in the world to get rid of. Well, here's what I want to know. So, obviously, um, again, if you haven't watched Picard, then go watch it, but I'm about to drop details from earlier in the series. Gerardi kills Maddox. Hmm. I'm forced to wonder now if that isn't a sort of mind meld suggestion that O gives her when she tells her that a terrible sacrifice must be made. Is Gerardi acting of her own free will when she kills Bruce Maddox? In hindsight, I don't think she is. That's a good question. Uh, I would say that yes, because she has been duped into thinking it was the right thing to do. Um, because you see the guilt later on, obviously, especially in this episode about things that she's done and things that she's doing. It definitely could have been something that was, um, hey, wink, wink, you might want to think about doing this. But I think that I think that she did it on her own and she felt really guilty for it personally. I, I think I think she feels the guilt later, but I think it's very possible that, you know, uh, oh, being a Romulan spy, for want of a better word, um, used Gerardi as a pawn. In much the same way that the Geordi was co-opted in the mind's eye in TNG, except this time she did it through a mind melt. I think we have to do everything we can to get Mr. Shabon on the show to ask him that question. Because <laughs> he'll have an answer for it. Guarantee you. Yep. I'm afraid his answer is going to be, well, what do you think? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in which good, case, we're kind of screwed. Yeah, absolutely. So the the La Serena is, is sort of trapped in you know around the uh the artifact i keep wanting to call it the board cube but i i have to remember to call it the artifact mm -hmm. they're trying to break away because they need to meet up with picard at nepenthe which is still quite a ways away at warp but um picard and soji emerge from that spatial trajector on a planet called nepenthe and as we learned there picard knows what he's doing soji has no idea what he's up to but mm -hmm. they're met by Kestra, and what a great name for the daughter of Will and Deanna Troy. Amazing callback. Amazing callback. At first, I'm like, eh, 
but like that lasted about 10 seconds and then it was awesome. I mean, and I think the reason I went eh is because we all know that that's not really our favorite TNG episode, the one with Kestra, but um, I think it was a great, a great uh, callback and a a great way to um, honor um, uh, Luxana's daughter. Uh, So I really liked it. And I got to say, the, the, the young woman who plays Kestra is phenomenal in this episode. She is just so great. Um, and I, I, I really hope we get to see her again. You can tell she's a, she's a Riker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, it's yep. just, I, I get that sense from her. I, I think the most, um, the, the most intense reaction that occurs for me in this episode is when Soji realizes she's an Android, uh, because it just happens to come up in conversation uh, between Kestra and Picard. Mm-hmm. And Picard looks, you know, he, he looks like he's committed you know, the most grievous of errors by not, well, by this re- this information being released the way it was. Yeah. But the way that Soji reacts is, is really just, it, it's the kind of thing you feel because it makes you question all in a moment, you know, who am I really? You know, or you go back to TMP. Is this all that, that I am? Is there nothing more? Yep. yep. It, it's a very, I can't imagine what that must be like to all of a sudden have the one piece of information that puts it all together and realize it completely undoes what you thought your existence was. It, you got to think that, was that just something, you know, Picard's got a lot on his mind. So is that something he just kind of like forgot to tell Soji? And because they, you know, they are being chased by Romulans and, and are facing death left and right. And she was just betrayed uh, by Narek and this, that, and the other thing. So did he just kind of forget to say, oh, by the way, I think you're an android. Other people might think that too. <laughs> <laughs> because that was really an emotion. I mean, it worked perfectly. Don't get me wrong. The scene worked great with, with Kestra and Soji realizing what's going on and questioning everything about her life um, and her parents and, and all that stuff. But uh, um Picard dropped the ball a little bit on that one, a little bit. Well, but I mean, that kind of is the running theme through the, oh, that's the true. first seven episodes of Star Trek Picard. Mm-hmm. You know, here's a man that we've all idolized and, and looked up to and and who has been our captain for many Star Trek fans. Mm-hmm. And he's made mistakes. And this series takes a, a very human look at those mistakes and his reaction to them later in life. Yeah, because he's not comfortable with the mistakes he's made. Um, and they they eat they haunt him in a sense. I would say they eat at him, but no, they they truly haunt him. And I think that this is just one more that that he has probably has a deep regret for. That's one of the things I love so much about what uh, Patrick Stewart does in this first season. He is a vulnerable Picard, and that's not something we see very often. We saw sh- small, tiny glimpses of that during TNG's run, but. But for pretty much this entire uh, first season, we see that more than we ever have. And it actually works. It really, you know, these captains that we put up on this pedestal for every series for all our lives aren't superhuman. They're not superheroes. And it's good to see these human um, frailties, maybe is a better word to put it, that we see with Sir Patrick Stewart portraying Picard in the series. I think one of the reasons this episode resonates with me so much, and we'll get to the other one later. Is is because it does leave him that vulnerable, uh, probably a little more so than the TNG episode Family did after the Best of Both Worlds. Mm-hmm. But when you think about it, the Best of Both Worlds was about him being rescued from a Borg cube, 
and family is the aftermath of that. And the Pente kind of serves the same purpose. It's a different aftermath. Um, this is an aftermath of things that he has not really caused, but he's played a direct result in. And he comes to realize he's in over his head. So where does he go? He goes to a safe place. He goes to two people who he knows will provide him not only safe harbor, but the best counsel. And those are the people who did it for so many years in Will Riker and Deanna Troy. And, you know, we've, we've joked a lot about Deanna Troy over the years and her ability to crash starships. <laughs> we've, we've, we've talked a lot about how really an encounter at Farpoint, she cries and that's just about it. But we get a Deanna Troy in this episode who is, is very much changed for her experiences. And I have to say, this is probably my favorite depiction of Deanna Troy in any televised or film Star Trek. Absolutely. I was going to say that. I'm glad that you did. It is, she is, she is a different woman in this episode. She's gone through a lot. She still wears the pain of Thad so many years after he dies. And we'll get into Thad later on. Um, But I think she's great. She's not afraid to stand up to him when he to Picard when she needs to. Also, she's not the ship's counselor. She's his friend, and she's gonna say what's on her mind. And I think that that's amazing. We never really—I don't think we ever saw her go against the captain during TNG. Not. I'm trying to think of something off the top of my head, and I can't. She has no problem saying what exactly what she feels to him, and and even Riker is surprised by it. You know, he's like, Insati. And she's like, oh, I'm going to say what I want to say. Blah, 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 blah. But uh, it's just, I, I, just <laughs> I, I really like that about, uh, about, about Marina. She still has that air of comfort about her. She is there to be a counselor in some ways. But at the same time, she doesn't have those um, roadblocks, so to speak, or those lines that she knows she's not supposed to cross when she was in Starfleet. She has no problem crossing them now and saying exactly what she needs to say. Well, I think it's because she's a mama bear now. Mm-hmm. You know, she's going to do what she can to protect her family and probably even more so after the loss of, of their son, Thad. Um, you know, it's, it, I mean, it's the reason why they wind up on the Pente in the first place. Right. You know, it's, it, it it occurred to me not long ago that Deanna now probably has more in common with her mother than she ever hoped to have. Oh, true. Because, you know, they both lost a child. It both affected them greatly. But unlike Loaxana, Deanna didn't keep it bottled up. You know, they, they did the best thing for their family and, you know, mm-hmm. and, and they still are. Because it looks like the Riker family is a is a really cohesive unit with yeah. a lot of love there. Um, and man, how great is it to see Will Riker? I, I got to say that is the epi- That is the moment of Picard. I think is my favorite is when we see him and we the reaction when when Kestra yells that it's Jean Luc Picard. You see him only from the back, and he just stands up and runs to the window. That's amazing. And then when they hug, and he gets that. Pizza flower all over the back of Picard's jacket. He doesn't care. He's seeing his friend. I think it's great. They're in the for those of movie buffs out there. One of the other things I love about this is that cabin that is their home, which is awesome with its shields and everything. Is from oh, another place that you can see that is if you watch the movie The Great Outdoors with uh, John yeah. Candy and Dan Aykroyd. That's the same cabin that they filmed that in so many decades ago. Um, but yeah, the, the, I like what you said about how it's a very loving and cohesive family. They really, really are, even with the loss of fat. And that, it, it kind of permeates the Rikers experience right now. Obviously right. they have another child to care for. 
mm-hmm. you know, and they have to help Kestra deal with the loss of her brother. Yeah. I mean, they moved to Nepenthe to try to help Thad, and ultimately, um, it, although we don't know all of the details, uh, ultimately it didn't work. Ultimately, his existence came to an end, unfortunately. And yeah. it's, you can tell it's changed Deanna immeasurably, mm-hmm. especially in the way she deals with Picard. Oh, absolutely. And I, uh, it's uh, mendaxic, mendaxic neurosclerosis. And I found this kind of interesting, Bill, and I want to get your take on it. It's a, it, it was a silicon-based virus, which could have been cured if they had been able to um, culture infected cells in, uh, in a positronic matrix. And of course, with the synth band, they couldn't do that. So that makes me think, because I don't think we ever really got confirmation that any of the androids that were created before the ban were positronic matrix-based. Data was the only one, and lore, if you want to count lore and that right. other idiot. Before. And before. Yeah. Um, so it kind of makes me think, okay, so do they now know how to create positronic matrices and does that make data not as unique as he was before at this point i'm going to say no but very soon in star trek picard i I have to say no Hmm. because only data could be data yeah any android that comes after that is is the benefit of what was learned through data's creation and through the success of of data and the life he lived yeah you know, Data lived a life of uh, of freedom and of sacrifice, ultimately. And although we <laughs> we encounter a planet filled with androids with positronic brains, mm. um, it, it tells us that Data's life not only, you know, wasn't wasted, it had immeasurable impact on science, on this, this culture that, that comes to exist of these androids, because now they, they are a race. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to say that, um, no, he, he still is, he, he still is as special as he ever was. And maybe even a little more so because without him, none of that happens. Well, that's true. It, one of the other things I was thinking was, is, you know, with the, with what happened on Mars and then the synth ban, this was, all of this was happening. Everything was happening on Mars because of Picard's plan for helping the Romulans. And then, you know, the, the synths went haywire and, and. Then the band. You got to wonder: Does Deanna some have a little tiny bit of her deep down inside that maybe blames Picard for what happened and why they couldn't save Thad? That's something that popped into my head too. Well, I don't. I don't think she'd blame Picard. I think she'd blame Starfleet. Yeah, because it, the band didn't happen because of Picard. Oh, I understand that. You just yeah. gotta, you just got to wonder. Sometimes minds work in really strange directions yeah. when bad things happen. So, I, I think that. I think that Deanna would, and I, this is just me. This is this is you know my speculating. I have no knowledge, and I could very well be wrong. But I think it's possible Deanna could be resentful um, because this ban, you know, prevent prevented her child from seeing another birthday. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I know that's how I'd feel. Yeah. Oh, I you know? I totally totally agree. Um, it, it's 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 sad to watch, but it's also um comforting to watch how that family has held itself together and and taken care of each other after uh the death of that i thought that that was one other aspect of the episode that was really good they didn't focus on it too much but you could tell just when picard and soji leave they're all standing together with their arms around each other and arms on kestra's shoulder Uh, i just thought that those those moments were very special in this episode 
They are. The other moment that really, really resonates to me and one that, you know, really gave me an emotional pause is when Picard and, and Deanna are in Thad's room. And, you know, they're, they're, they're reminiscing, you know, about the, the times Picard met Thad. And there's that photo of Picard in his admiral's uniform mm-hmm. holding Thad as a baby. Um, and they talk about, you know, how Kestra mourned for Thad and, and Deanna's loss. And, you know, Picard promises that as soon as he has a plan, they're going to leave. And, and Troy goes out of her way to reemphasize that they're welcome to stay as long as they need. But, you know, yeah. she's not as brave as she once was. And when mm-hmm. I heard that line, it just, it gutted me. Yeah. It really did because it, it says that this character is forever changed. You know, this isn't something that we shake off and go to the next episode or movie and go back and do it again. Yep. You know, um, Deanna, Deanna has lost something from this experience. And I really, truly empathized and felt felt horribly for her i really did it's a perfect it's a perfect scene to show what you called earlier she's a mama bear now yeah and she's gonna protect her remaining cub any way she can and yeah it's a it's a great scene it it really is um i i also love it's not so much parenting but i want to bring this part up too and we could get to it later but i might as well because we're talking about the closeness and the relationships in this episode when Riker and picard are out on the dock sitting in the on that wooden bench talking about things. I really love that. That shows the closeness of a former captain and a former first officer and how Riker knows not to try to talk him out and Picard just think that's wonderful. I love the scenery in that episode. It makes me think of the camp that I love to go to all the time. We don't have this in, at the camp, but the mountains in the background. Yeah. Absolutely love those mountains. They're they're wonderful. The one that's kind of looks like a a, a loop. It's kind of like a uh, like a bent hat or something like that. It's kind of like <laughs> a Mount Crumpet from The Grinch Who Stole Christmas. When you kind of think about it, um, I really like the scenery in that. It really it, it's very subtle, but it really plays into the scene really well. For me, it kind of evoked you know Will Riker's Alaska. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. You know where he was raised, and that's probably why he you know. That really has no designs to leave anytime soon. Mm-hmm. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. <laughs> um, although I got to say, you know, Riker may have been out of the game or at least on Nepenthe for some time. But man, is he ever on top of it, you know, with being able to, to tell Picard everything that's occurred, mm-hmm. what he thinks is about to happen and 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 essentially just analyzing and and parsing out the whole situation to present before Picard. And then he's like, am I right? <laughs> Picard's like, like wow damn damn <laughs> yeah, absolutely yeah and that that goes to show he's he deserved to be a captain a lot sooner than he decided to become captain because he has those correct instincts but it also shows why it's so good that he didn't go and become captain of the titan for as long as he did he knows Picard he knows everything about him the way that he works the way he thinks and he hit every nail right on the head it's pretty cool you know, and here's one more thing about Riker we have to bring up. I mean, obviously, in, in TNG Season 2, he attempts to make omelets, which aren't omelets. They're actually scrambled eggs, and they're <laughs> terrible because of the eggs. <laughs> yes. Riker has become a much better cook because that bunny corn pizza looked pretty damn amazing in that in that oven. I just want that outside, you know, uh, stone pizza oven or everything. I want to build that in my backyard because that was pretty awesome. That's a Federation technology? I don't care. I still want it. it but it, 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 it's funny that you bring that up because um, it looks like it's, you know, old school. 
but he's got the 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 door that he takes off to put the pizza in. But when he closes it, you still hear that kind of special Starfleet esque special effect of a door closing. It's like it's. A, I don't know if it. I don't know. That's I. I heard it. I don't know if you heard it. <laughs> I, I didn't pay attention to it, but I will now. <laughs> yeah. Um, and let's talk about the other really sublime callback in the Pentai, and that is that. Riker has a shield generator because of a run-in with the Kazinti. Now, for those That's who may not beautiful. be as, as up and up, the Kazinti is a race that we saw in the animated series in the mm-hmm. 70s. Mm-hmm. So here, Michael Shabon has essentially made the Kazinti, for all those people who don't think it is, canon. Canon! Because <laughs> I'm sorry, let's just, can we just say the animated series is canon now? Yes, it is. Because yeah. so many elements of it have been called back. You're welcome, Aaron Harvey. well and and you're welcome animated series fans period yeah absolutely um you know i i used to say it wasn't canon you know what i'm over it as far as Mm -hmm. i'm concerned it is especially when we keep working in references like this Uh, because it's it's really nice and how many things have we seen in lower decks that were related to the animated series oh my god so yeah absolutely canon cannonball coming canon anyway Cannonball. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I I think that Soji has a lot of small, impactful moments in this episode. Um, You know, there's and many of them are conversations with Kestra, um, especially while she's she's showering. Yeah, that's that's a really great scene between those two actors. Um, But in the garden, though, the conversation between Deanna and Soji. Around real tomatoes. Yeah, exactly. You stop think about it. I mean, every bit of food on Earth is probably replicated at this point with with rare exceptions, like maybe, say, the Picard Vineyard um, and others. But Soji in her life had never had a real tomato. Right. And you stop and think about that. I mean, we have real tomatoes all the time, or at least hydroponically greenhouse-grown tomatoes. I love tomatoes. I Can you imagine... You know, having that moment as an adult and never having had a real tomato and how amazing it must be. Because she says it, you know, she, she, she's kind of amazed at how real it tastes. Well, it is real. <laughs> but you know what else I liked about that scene? As much as she loved the tomato, she still made a point to, to, to question everything. I don't trust you. I don't trust Picard. I don't trust Kestra. I, I She's still going through all... She's got so much turmoil going on in her head that even in this moment that's supposed to be wonderful and she's trying something for the first time and she loves it, she still then just continues to think about how she's been lied to her whole life and it's just, just more part of the game. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Very strong episode. A uh, very strong well, scene in a very strong episode. Well, and even right after that in the following scene, I mean, Deanna essentially admonishes Picard. You know, um, she tells him he... You know, essentially needs to be you know the captain that she knew, and and essentially to to cut it out. She's very honest with him. She essentially says, you know, you you need to use the the dinner table as a ready room, essentially. And she's not wrong. She's not wrong. And speaking, that I I have to throw in my joke that I always have a joke some sometime during the episode to throw in. Speaking oh, of great. the dinner table, can't wait. I love how they worked in present day issues. In that scene, how many times have parents told kids not to use their phone at the table? 
<laughs> and there's Castro. Boom, go, go to see this guy. I thought that was hilarious. Very subtle. Nobody really says anything at the table, but at the, the first thing I was thinking is, she's using her phone at the table. <laughs> <laughs> so it just tells us for centuries, kids are just not going to listen, is what you're saying. <laughs> yep. Wild woman of the woods. Wild woman of the woods. I'm going to start calling you that from now on. All right. I um, like that. Let's talk about some other developments in this episode because although they are smaller scenes, oh boy. They are they have huge impact. Oh boy. So, we have to go back to the Borg artifact for a few minutes because we see a lot happen. Uh, Narissa uh, engages Elnor and Hugh and unfortunately oh. Hugh uh, meets his end. Now, this upset a lot of fans. Um why did you bring him back just to kill him? Um I, I get it. I get where this comes from because we saw a Hugh that had been liberated from his board technology and was serving a greater purpose. Mm-hmm. But honestly, if I look back at this episode and rewatch the series, it's a development that fits. It fits it's perfectly. A, it's a development that I think provides actually a fairly well-rounded character arc. But we also don't know if, I mean, he's on a board cube, let's be honest. Right. Could we see him again? Oh, I, you know, I haven't really even thought of that. I will say I, I loved how it bookended his character. It was unexpected. It, it happened so fast. It was one yeah. of those, what, what just happened? Because she throws this, she digs this little dart knife out of her suit and boom, that, that's it. It's like, oh my God. And it was, and I think that was the shock moment of the episode because there were several shock moments in episodes. That was the one. And that was a jaw, a jaw drop moment for me when it happened. I'm like, that, he, we just met him. They just had the one of the best reunions in Star Trek history, not Riker and Picard. Riker, uh, Picard and Hugh was one of the best reunions I'd ever seen the previous yeah. episode. And yeah. now he's gone. But I totally get it in the scope of his character and what's going on in the season. I definitely agree with you on that. There's kind of a great fight that occurs in this episode between Nerissa and Elnor and and Nerissa's henchmen. It's a a scene that's really choreographed extremely well. Unfortunately, it ends with with Hugh's death and Nerissa essentially beams out. She's a coward. (laughs) She is. (laughs) You're not wrong. She's like Ike Clanton in Tombstone. Wow, that's a yeah. kind of a deep well, pull, but okay. Well, it was just on the other night, so it's in my head. But yeah, he yeah. cowered at everything. But yeah, she is. She's She looks all tough and bad, but as soon as something happens, she runs away or beams away, whatever. You know, with, with Hugh's dying breath, he essentially tells Elnor that he needs a, an XB to activate the queen cell. Um, yep. And he thanks him for letting him be a hopeful fool again. Fantastic. For a brief moment. Mm-hmm. It's such a, 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 a such a wonderful scene, played so well by Jonathan Delarco. Um, but, uh, Elmer's going to need some help, isn't he? He is. And it just so happens. It's just so amazing that he hides under a panel that just happens to have a Fenris button hanging from it. Huh. Who would have thought? That's some great, that's some great, uh, tactical, um, wizardry to hide in just the right spot. I thought that was kind of convenient. <laughs> <laughs> but yes. You wouldn't have pulled that out. I, no, are you kidding? I would have jumped out an airlock. <laughs> Or been thrown out by you, one or the other. I'm not really sure, um, but yeah. So, so uh, y- you know what's going to happen when he activates that, and, and it shows Fenris SOS initiated. You know who's going to end up showing up to help. You you do. Fantastic. It also tells us that. Well, we know that that seven of nine gives Picard one on the Lost Serena. Yeah. But it also tells us that seven has probably been in contact with Hugh for some time. 
Yeah, which I think is awesome. Yeah, absolutely. It, and it's too bad that there isn't a moment where she sees him after he dies to see if what kind of reaction. I don't recall yeah. there being that ha- being that happening, or or I don't recall that happening being that happening. Well, you also don't recall your name, so <laughs> who knows? So back on the Lost Serena, <laughs> I feel like we're jumping all over the place now, and the episode does, so you kind of have to exactly. Um, you know, Gerardi's got a lot on her mind, and, uh, and Auntie Rafi is trying to get her to work through it with <laughs> some cake and some chocolate milk. I don't and like that red is velvet. Totally. Oh, I love red velvet. I don't like. Are red you velvet. kidding me? No. That's probably one of my favorite flavors, especially in cupcakes. No, it's just it. it's just chocolate with red food coloring, dude. I know. I don't. I don't know why I don't care for it because that is all it is. I don't know. It's something about it. Anyway, you're an idiot. So anyway, <laughs> um, it's interesting to see Rafi take on this uh, persona to try to help Agnes, mm-hmm. especially when you know Rafi's had some not so great experiences with her own kid. Yeah. Uh, not so long ago, she immediately pops into mama bear mode, you yep. know, and tries to to help Agnes through it, which I thought was very interesting. It is, and it shows another another great character in this in this series. She's gone through really bad times herself um, over a long period of time, and just recently, but yet she's there to help. I found it interesting that Rios thought that Rafi could be the one that was, you know. Yeah. causing the Romulan to allow to be tracked but and, and and her innocence and that whole thing but um I really did like that that scene between Girardi and and Rafi was another another great character building moment between the two and every time every time Rafi tried to say something comforting it just made Girardi feel worse so it, did. it had the exact opposite effect of what she hoped um because we all knew what she was going through but but of course Rafi didn't no, and she doesn't. Of course, it, it all weighs so heavily on Gerardi because she's done some some terrible things that have led to some terrible events, and now they're being tracked. That edible tracker that she, you know, ate three weeks ago, you know, at the behest of Commodore O, is now causing the the La Serena to be tracked down by Narek mm-hmm. at every turn, yeah. and she's Gerardi says to herself, "Hmm, well, what's the best way to make the tracker go away?" Um, she essentially tries to kill herself Ouch. and that's a, that's a pretty dark, deep cut for a Star Trek episode. It, it really is. But haven't we seen deep darkness since the very first episode of the series? We've yeah, seen a we lot have. of that. So it, it, it continues, which I think is good that it continues it, but it's a world of Star Trek that we have not seen before. It's not, I use this phrase way too often, rainbows and unicorns. There are some real deep dark emotional problems that people have uh in star trek and we don't i I would have expected it from uh um uh, from michelle hurt's character rafi i would have rafi expected it from rafi much more so than i would have expected it from girardi but you know she does what she feels she has to do and it, it shows that she's come to grips with what she did i don't know if that that, that's the way wrong way to put it but i think you know where i'm going with it she needs to correct it she needs to correct what she did um and i don't know maybe she didn't think it would kill her because the computer warns that it may have a bad effect depending on the species so maybe she hoped that maybe she'd be okay unless she has going to a coma but um you know you know there's that (laughs) one might say that she's gone into darkness (laughs) 
<laughs> so happy that you used that uh, Sheldon laugh finally. Thank You're you. welcome. Um, no, I think she does know. I think she purposefully, you know, tries to put herself in that That's state. That's an interesting to, take. I'm not sure how it would disable the tracker per se, um, but but maybe that neurotoxic effect is what negates the right. the, the tracker itself. Yeah. Um, and I think at that point, with all the guilt she's carrying, she's probably figures, well, if I die, I die. Yeah. I, I, that, that's, that's what I have to good, believe. That's a good point. Uh, and I and and when she does take that neurotoxin. Um, I loved Narek. What is it? The Snakehead? Is that what they call the ship? Which is a cool name for a ship. Snakehead. I think so. Yeah, yeah. And he's playing with this little funny Rubik's Cube in one hand, which he's got more talent in that hand than I could ever. I'd be dropping that thing on the floor and and everything like that. He's he's like, oh, he when he loses a signal, you can tell that he's like, oh, we're screwed now. Um, I thought that was a good scene. I was never a Narek fan, but I, I did like some of the things he did, including that one. He's got more talent in his hand than you have, period. Exactly. Thank you for saying it. I didn't want to say it, but you're right. (laughs) So, yeah, a lot happens in those two areas. We don't spend very much of the episode there, but the developments are very significant in the scope of the rest of the season, quite frankly. Um, It's uh, going back and thinking about it. This episode sets up so much, but it also resolves so many things for Picard. It tells him that the person he needs to be is the person that we've always known him to be. You know, he can't be an angry, regretful man who's haunted by the loss of data still. He needs to pull himself up and be Jean-Luc Picard once again, because that's the only way they're going to get out of this. And I think that that's what sets the tone for the, the remaining three episodes of the season. I really like how you put that because I look at it as it was a final, this episode is a final chapter in some parts of Picard and the Rikers, Troy's lives. And it's the beginning chapter for other parts of their lives. I, I just, it, it's funny, you, you kind of think that an episode like this might be the midway point of a season because it's kind of like a lot of stuff happening and before and yeah. then a lot of stuff happening after, but it's not. It's it's almost towards the end of the season and it just makes you wish for so much more. I want a Riker series now. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's it's funny. We we made the, the mention of the TNG episode Family earlier and how this episode kind of serves the same purpose and it really does for Jean-Luc Picard. After the best of both worlds, he is broken. You know, the Borg took everything he was, you know, and he went back home to try to find himself to Labar, France. In this case, Picard, Picard's in over his head. He's got no idea what he's doing. He's not sure. He's not sure who he is anymore. Yep. Because he's, you know, he's haunted. And where does he go? He goes to the equivalent of home for him. He goes back to the people whom he loves and trusts more than anything in the world to find himself again. Mm-hmm. And what does he do? He leaves as Jean-Luc Picard again. And I, I think that, you know, I think there's the DNA through the episode family all through this episode. And I, I don't see it now. I didn't see it until rewatching it again recently. Um, but it's, it's very apparent to me that, you know, this is keeping in, very much with who Picard is as a person. I really like the way that you word that. Um, I, I can't really add much to that because because you're absolutely right. And it's I'm, I've said it like four times in this episode alone. It 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 goes to the amazing writing staff of these 
episodes. It goes to the direction. It goes to the actors. Um, you know, I've I've talked from time to time. You know, are we going to see all these characters come back again just so we can see these characters? No way. No, this this was not just a quote unquote fan service moment. This was a deep, impactful part of this story to have these characters return and set Picard back on the right path. And uh, it, it's just it's just phenomenal. I I really think it's my favorite episode of the season, man. I really do. I think it is too, and I think it's because it has that emotional touchstone. Exactly. Honestly. Yeah. Um, tell me that you didn't get really choked up when the three of them hug at the end. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's 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 great because we never saw that in TNG. No, no, never. we never did. Nope. These are people who appreciate the the people at the other end of that hug in their lives. Mm-hmm. You know, these are people who know something of loss. These are people who know something of love. Yeah. And they realize that, you know, th- this human connection they have is is all there is. And it's the most important thing. And to see that moment where they come together at the end, man, it just, it's, it makes you smile and it gives you happy tears. It does. It really does. You know? and, and, you know, we saw, we saw Riker and Troy get married, of course, um, in Nemesis. Uh, insurrection or nemesis? Nemesis. Nemesis. Um, and you knew that it was always meant to be all through the course of TNG. You knew that they they get they somehow get back together, and they do. But seeing them as a family, as a married couple that have been married for a long time, it's one thing to be newlyweds, but it's another thing to see them after so many years going through things that they have gone through. We don't know what their life was like on the Titan. He was captain. She was there. Yep. We don't know anything about it unless you read any of the novels. Um, so we don't know what their life was like. They had um, two kids, and they were you know, bouncing around, probably Starbase and Starship for a long time. So to see them as close um, and as loving as they were at that end, after that hug with Picard, like I said before, they're sta- the three of them are standing there together, as close as you can stand together, three people. And I thought that was another beautiful moment at the end of the, the final scenes uh, for the Nepenthe part of this episode. It was a way to wrap up a whole bunch of beautiful moments, um, both positive and sad in this episode. Yeah. yeah. I, I have to say that every every performance in this episode for me is really just amazing. You know, from from Issa Briones to Michelle Hurd to uh to to Allison Pill, right through to yeah. to to Jonathan Frakes and Marina Sirtis, and of course Sir Patrick. Mm-hmm. Um it's just it, it is a wonderful episode that you know, should tear at the heartstrings of every TNG fan, but tell you that Jean-Luc Picard has never been gone. He just needed to find himself again. Right. And he finds himself now for the rest of the season, if not series, because I have big expectations for season two based on what we've seen in season one and knowing that Picard is back. Is that the right way to say it? Picard is back. <laughs> he said it at the convention, so maybe now is the right time to say it uh, after this episode of Nepenthe. I don't know. Well, Dan, that's going to put a wrap on Nepenthe. Nepenthe. What a what a great episode, and man, it's one I could just watch over and over and over. Um, I I love Michael Shabon, and I love what he added mm. to season one of Picard. Yep. Um, he co-wrote this episode, but man, 
when you have a Pulitzer Prize winning author contributing to your series, who also happens to be a huge Star Trek fan, it's not a terrible thing. It's not. He's fantastic. Uh, one of the greatest, on- I'm not even joking when I say this, I'm being 100% serious. One of the greatest honors of my life was the opportunity to talk to him at the Picard premiere a couple of years ago out in Hollywood. Such a nice guy, such a wonderful Star Trek fan. And I got to say, with everything that's been going on in my life recently, I do remember the very touching article that he wrote about his dad and his passing a couple of years ago. So he is fantastic. He gave his heart and soul, not only to the entire first season of Picard, but specifically this episode. And it's, I think it's my favorite one of the entire series. I have to agree with you, but uh, you know what else I know you're going to agree with me Mm, on? I have an idea. I think you do. It's our love for the band Five Year Mission. They Ah. who not only have a podcast on this very network, but also provide every bit of music you hear on the Trek Geeks podcast. Podcast. You've heard of them, right? Five-Year Mission? Five-Year Mission. They have a podcast on our network? They do. You know what it's called? I think I do. I think it's called the Five-Year Mission Podcast. No. No, it's, it's not called, called that at all. It's called Five-Year Mission, the podcast. It's the podcast. Or the podcast. Kind of like Spaceballs. Yes. Yeah. See? Okay. The light. Keep, keep going. <clears throat> of course, Dan's never seen Spaceballs, <laughs> but we want everyone to head on out to fiveyearmission.net. Get all of their CDs ship to your house that's year one year two year three year four spock's brain trouble with tribbles get them all because we guarantee you are going to become a huge fan of the band fiveyearmission.net go get those discs get the discs. don't just download get the discs get the then discs. you can like like spin them on your finger and it, they're awesome anyway you know we we were just talking about <laughs> you're making a face at me you we were talking about <laughs> how awesome picard season one was right it was so oh, yeah. awesome. You know, Nepenthe just makes me think about just what a great season it was. Great writing. Um, there were so many good episodes in the season, especially that finale, man. It was awesome. Oh, yeah. Romulans, synth musicians bent on taking over the quadrant, new starships with familiar captains, death and rebirth and a golem. It had it all. It really did. Et in Farcadia Ego. Parts one and part two. Just fantastic Star Trek stories. I see that your time away really didn't benefit your Farkism ability. It's the grief talking, right? It was, that was a good one, I thought. <laughs> Et in Farcadia ego. You know. Seeing it again doesn't make it better. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Even, what if I say it three times? Uh, then Beetlejuice appears, at, and in, that's oh, not good for anybody. Oh, no, it isn't. <laughs> yeah, fiveyearmission.net. Um, yeah. Welcome back. Don't forget. Yeah, really, <laughs> to us all. Don't forget, you too can support the Trek Geeks Podcast Network by subscribing to us on Patreon, where you can get all kinds of special perks and raw audio of our podcast, Dan. Yeah, absolutely. We're, we're still working on some brand new perks from our friends at Mint Printworks here in New Hampshire. We've got our exclusive Patreon pins from our friends at Fansets. All kinds of things in the work. We're get, we, I promise we're going to have announcements. We had some things going on in the past couple of months. Kind of put a delay on it, but trust me, you're going to love them. Right now, we want to take a moment to thank our associate producers for Trek Geeks. We are so grateful for their support. And they are Vikram Bhatt, Luke Burnham, Brad DeMag, William Edward M. Jr., Patrick Escudero, Brandon Everidge, and Andy Fark, Kimberly Francis, Jonathan Hamilton, Ryan Jeffs, John Krikorian, Sean Lynn, Jamie McGregor, Aaron Mullenkoff, Casey Pettit, Tim Robertson, Greg Rozier, Eric Sakian, Adam Sanders, Tim Serdar, Samuel Slade, Heather Sohn, Blake Strike, Lisa Tomlinson, 
Jessica Dax Vincent, Ron Robel, and the gracious and wonderful Conrad Hutchins. So gracious, so wonderful. We also mm-hmm. want to thank our Trek Geeks producers for their support. They are Mike Bovia, Chaz Bradshaw, Kyle Castillo, Peter Craig, Craig Ewing, Jackie and Chris Hackney, Kimberly Hartman, David Hood, Lionel Marchand, Rick Mason, Matt McGonigal, Jim McMahon, Darren Metcalf, Charlie Mulvey, Sean O'Halloran, Jamie Rogers, Casey Shafsky, Jim Stoffel, Chris Trebuzio, Ken Tripp, Christina Werther, and the lovely and talented Jess Fashion. Dan, the senior producer of Trek Geeks, is the audaciously amazing Jude Tatman. He is audaciously amazing, that is for sure. You too can become a producer on the Trek Geeks Podcast Network, and it is so easy to do. Head on over to patreon.com slash trekgeeks for all the details. Yeah, Dan, all the time you and I are asked for advice about Vegas Mm. and the convention. Yes. And next week, we're going to start prepping for that trip with a very special guest to talk about, well, conventions. (laughs) Yeah, that kind of all... Makes sense, doesn't it? It's, it's, yeah. It's pretty exciting. The 55-year mission tour will be in full swing this coming August, and I know that bo- both you and I cannot wait until we all get back together in the desert. We're so excited about the return of conventions that we're going to welcome a very special guest next week. Creation Entertainment CEO Adam Malin is going to join us to talk about the 55-year mission tour and conventions in general. It's a conversation you won't want to miss, and it's next week on Trek Geeks, the flagship of the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. You know, it's amazing to think that Creation now in their 50th year um, has been doing con since the first con in <laughs> 1971. Can you believe that? Wow, that's a long time ago. That's a lot yeah. of math. That, uh, we were just wee little tykes. Uh, 50 years ago. That's 50. Yeah. Oh, I got it right. Wow. Okay. <laughs> there you go. For even more great Star Trek discussion, we want everyone to check out the other podcasts on our network. In addition to Discovering Trek, Rewind, Polytrex, Five-Year Mission, Deep Space Pride, Infinite Trek, and The Divine Treasury. Oof, that's a mouthful. We want everyone to check out the Sci-Fi Sisters. They're the latest edition of the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. And what more can we say other than you are going to love them? Mm-hmm. S- such, such great talk about sci-fi in general and genre and Star Trek. But um, their podcast drops fortnightly on Friday, so be sure to check it out. You can find all our podcasts, including where to listen, by visiting trekgeeks.com slash listen. The Trek Geeks Podcast Network. No one talks Trek like we do. I dare say no one. And of course, for all the news on all the Star Treks, yo, please visit our great friends at treknews.net. For now, this has been episode number 260 of the Trek Geeks Podcast. We do hope you all live long and prosper. Shields up! Scan for coconuts. Oh, I hope we have double shields because I don't want any of those things. Music for Trek Geeks is provided by Five Year Mission. They're writing an original song for each episode of Star Trek. Hear more of their music at fiveyearmission.net. Trek Geeks is a production of Coconut Media Works. Executive producers Bill Smith and Dan Davidson. For more great Star Trek discussion, discover the other shows of the Trek Geeks podcast network at trekgeeks.com or find us in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app.
Can you do that in a C, please? Uh, no, I can't. Okay. Well, Bing Bong, oh, back to we, you. Oh, oh, sorry. Wait, do you mean you'd like for me to be like in the ocean while I do that? With C? Like really deep without being able to get back up to the surface in time? Yeah. Is that what you're saying? That'd be wonderful. Thank you. Wow. Thanks. No, just kidding. Bing bong to you, buddy. It's good to be here again. Well, welcome back, buddy. It's good to have you back in the chair. Good to Thank have you, you back where you belong. It's good to be here. It, it, it really is. It's been a, um, a very long couple of weeks, very stressful, a very sad couple of weeks. But um, it always makes me feel good to be sitting here to talk about what I love so much with somebody that I love so much like you, buddy. So I'm glad to be here. Thank I, you. I'm overjoyed that you're back. It's, it's good that... Uh, it's good that you took the time you needed, mm-hmm. um, that you and your family needed, because I, I think it was, I think it was crucial, and I know that uh, it, it was time that 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 meant a lot to you, and I, I know the listeners know that too, and so many of them have reached out to you and, and to me to ask how you're doing. So let's tell them how are you doing. I'm doing good. Um, it was a tough couple of weeks. I'll give a brief rundown. Everybody knew that my dad had been sick for several months. He'd been fighting prostate cancer since 1999, actually. Um, and the last six months had been rough. Uh, he had lost a lot of weight. He lost about 60 pounds. Um, and a couple of weeks ago, he took a fall and broke his hip. And that was pretty much the last straw that his body could take. Um, and I think we all knew it. And I think he knew it. Uh, we had to actually bring him to hospice the day after the fall. Um, and they were absolutely miracle workers. They were the most wonderful people I think I've ever met. So everybody in the hospice house in Merrimack has my eternal um, love and gratitude. Um, they helped Dad be comfortable as much as possible, and they took care of us at the same time. Uh, Dad was lucid for a couple of days, um, and on Wednesday he fell asleep and did not wake up again and passed on Friday, May 29th at 9:56 a.m. Um, it was very hard for all of us to watch him go what to watch him go through what he went through, but um, we are all very comforted knowing that he is not suffering anymore. The last week was very painful for us to watch. He's in a better place. Um, he knows that he was surrounded by love, and uh, I will always be. Um, a very proud son. And it's funny, I talked about the frustrations that we had during his illness and during his life. He was a very stubborn person. And and you know that, Bill, more than anybody, (laughs) because we talked. But it's amazing that during those last few days and um, the last couple of times that he was lucid and he knew that I was there and he knew that we were there for him, all of that frustration was gone forever. Um, So I was glad to be able to be there with him. And... um, the funeral was wonderful. The celebration of his life was wonderful this past week. You were there, and thank you and Kelly so much for being there for me and for the family. Um, and um, it was amazing to see the uh, turnout. He had a life of service to the city of Nashua, and um, it was great. We're going to bury him next Thursday up at the uh, Veterans Cemetery up in Bosco in New Hampshire, uh, and he will be laid to rest in a place of honor, and uh, I will honor him for the rest of my life. So thank you so much to everybody who reached out for um, messages of how you doing, sending condolences and sending prayers, thoughts, love. Um, Every single message that I received is something that I will cherish. So thank you very much. That That is so amazing. It was such a wonderful day. Um, it was great to see you and your family, even though it was under those circumstances. And uh, I just I thought it was just a, a beautiful tribute to an amazing guy. Thank you. Um, your dad was one of a kind. He had a giant personality and that was only exceeded by his sense of humor 
and a laugh that you could hear for two counties. <laughs> Especially when he was banging his legs on the ground when he was laughing or on the armchair. He would always bang his arms and legs when he laughed, which was always pretty funny. I've, I've told your, I've told people that your dad actually had a knee slapping laugh and that's not he, an exaggeration. Not an exaggeration at all. And I've kind of um, done that. Not that I was imitating him. It's just kind of something that I do now. And as you know, uh, I, I tend to, to slam legs and arms and stuff when I'm excited watching sports or comedy. So, uh, it's I guess it's something that I just inherited from him and it's not gonna change. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Well you mean like when you wake up your podcast partner in the middle of a hotel room at one right. o'clock in the morning watching baseball. Watching a Red Sox game in the World Series a couple of years ago. That may have happened <sighs> allegedly. 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 Uh, allegedly, yes. No, well, you know what? Um things may have changed in my life for the last couple of weeks and I've had a tough couple of weeks, but my my um my English language screw ups are still as good as ever. So you're welcome. I would like to congratulate you because if you delivered your father's eulogy and you didn't stumble over a single damn word, how come you can't do that on the podcast? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe because you're here and I just can't help myself. <laughs> Thank you for that. It was, um, it was something that I was really proud of. I actually started writing that way back in November when I went down to visit him for the first time to take care of him in Florida. And then again in February when I had to go back because we thought we were going to lose him then. So it's been something I had been writing for a while. And um, I think it spoke to the type of person he was and the love that he had for his family. So um, yeah, it was, I'm glad that it, it came out as good as it did. So thanks for those words. No, I, I'm happy to, because it was a, it was a wonderful, wonderful tribute to your dad. Um, I, if your goal was to make people laugh <laughs> and to make people remember the lighter side of your yeah. dad, you absolutely did. And That's... by the way, your impersonation of your father uh, <laughs> up there was spot on. <laughs> I, I, people tend to say that I sound a lot like him in, in ways that I wish I didn't. But uh, yeah, it was it was fun to do that impersonation of him uh, uh, saying how he knew how to golf and even though he really sucked at it. But he always knew what somebody else was doing wrong. But uh, yeah. So it was it was a great day. It's something I'll always remember, and I'm I'm glad that you were a part of it. But I do have to say one thing. What's up? I'm very happy to be here during the outtake to talk about something that Sue and I did the other night. We watched Invasion of the Body Snatchers the other night, dude. It was on TV, and we stopped when it was like the first five minutes, and we watched the whole thing. Now, is this the original or the remake? The Leonard Nimoy version with Donald Sutherland, the 78 <laughs> version, which would probably be the remake, because as you pointed out, the original came out in the 50s, which I didn't, I didn't friggin' know. I, just, I thought so, that was the original. What people don't know is that before we started the <laughs> recording, Dan said, yeah, no, I saw the original. I'm like, which one? The one with Nimoy? He goes, yeah. I'm like, no, dude, the original's from like 1956. <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> It was it was awesome, and and I remember seeing it as a kid. And this is you know this is going to be you know a horny little kid talking. It was the first movie I ever saw where there was a woman topless in it when I was a little when I was a young kid. And I'm like, oh my god! But it was also the scene that I always have remembered was at the very end when Donald Sutherland does that noise. Yeah. And so we're watching it, and I had exactly that's the face. You look exactly like Donald Sutherland right now. Thank you. Thank you. But um. We watched it, 
And um, I'm like, I've only remember two scenes of this movie I saw as a kid, and it was the one with the girl after she like disintegrated like in his arms, and then the 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 alien popped out of the of the bushes, and then the end. And I'm like, honey, we gotta watch this because I want to I want to see what happened. Jeff Goldblum's on it. He's like 12 years old. <laughs> he's a little older than that. He's a little older than that. But I gotta say, for a 1970s movie, 1978, I think it was. I was really impressed with it. I really enjoyed watching it. So, if anybody wants to watch a um, a classic horror movie with the one and only Leonard Nimoy, of course, who does not want to see a Leonard Nimoy, Leonard Nimoy in anything? Uh, right. I'll recommend. I'll recommend it. It was good, a little corny, um, but uh, but still a lot of fun to watch. Yeah. Well, okay, that's Dan's movie corner exclusive mm. to the Trek Geeks outtake, yeah. and it has a Star Trek reference. Does it really, Leonard Nimoy? Well, that's not a reference. Well, it's my reference. I thought you were today. going to say that they actually reference. I can Trek. say anything I want and get away with it this week. It's the grief talking. <laughs> exactly. That's <laughs> survivor's guilt or something. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> so uh, we're not going to give any details right now. Right. But uh, there's an announcement coming next week. But uh, for those of you who may be in the um, the Star Trek Convention Experiences group on Facebook, um, we do just want to let people know. We have found a venue for the 2021 Fan Geeks Party. Um, so Fansets and Trek Geeks will be added again this year in Vegas with the most popular party of the convention. And uh, we'll have details coming shortly. I-, I talked to literally about 50 venues over the course of the last two months, Dan. And we f- threw a Hail Mary pass and finally somebody caught it. And uh, it-, it turned out to be just a- such a wonderful development today. It was awesome, and I got to say, if anybody who's been to past Fan Geeks party thought that the prizes that were given away were something, you ain't seen nothing yet, because um, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be fun. It's going to be loud. There's going to be food, drinks, fun, giveaways, Trek stuff. Hopefully, maybe we'll be able to get some Trek people there. Uh, We're going to work on that, but uh, big announcement next week. We're looking forward to everybody being just as excited as we are. And it's all thanks to you, Dan Davidson. Great job. I didn't do a thing. This is That's, all 100% you. I'm going to actually take that snippet and save it as like a <laughs> notification tone for whenever you send me a text <laughs> so that I can be reminded of it every time. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. I, you know what? I give credit where credit is due most of the time. And uh, <laughs> you deserve all the credit. You get a gold star, and I'm going to put right on your giant forehead because you wow. did a great job with this one, man. It was all you. Congratulations. You have no room giving me crap about the size of my forehead because yours doesn't end. It doesn't. It's just one big, long forehead. I look like the Predator or the Alien. Alien, actually, is the one that had the big, long head, not Predator. Yeah, um, no, you're not that good looking. Uh, that's true. Uh, That's true. And the other thing, too, is that you and I, for the first time, well, actually, the Trek Geeks Podcast Network, and you and I will, for the very first time, have a booth in the vendor's room in Las Vegas. Huge. So we will be there all week long. Yes. um, Meeting people and and saying hi and telling other people what podcasts are, because there are still, believe it or not, a lot of Star Trek fans who have never heard of podcasts. What's a podcast? I don't want to do one of those. (laughs) (laughs) All right, you big jerk. You ready to do this? I am ready to do it. Thank you again, everyone. Uh, It's good to be back.